episode number 30. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to have the Torah portion of the week, Noach, How Do You Measure Up? A powerful parable from the Magi Medumna, the best in the yeshiva. A great story about Rav Shach and peace in your home. Why do they fight? And now, the Torah portion of the week with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. So this week is Parsha's Noach, and it discusses where the individual is in society and how an individual can use his free will to make the best of his life in this world. So Rev. Miller from Gates had explained that in Noach's generation, what happened was, was the focus on the individual. In other words, the individual was more important than the group, which we know leads to absurdum because then society can't function. So the verse says the land was corrupted before God and the land was filled with violence. And Rashi explains that that was robbery. What means that the people got to a point where they no longer respected the rights of the others, they were more important than everybody else, which led to robbery, which leads to the destruction of the world. Once people no longer respect each other, God had to destroy the world. On the other hand, at the end of the Parsha, we have the Tower of Babel, which was the opposite. People were united. There was a common good. There was a social unity, which really led to communism. And it says it exactly in the Midrash like that. The Midrash says, what belonged to the other person belongs to him, and what belonged to him belonged to the other person. They had everything together as in common, one common fund for everybody. Communism. But this also led to a dysfunctional society. What did they try to do? They tried to build the Tower of Babel. The Malbim explains that what was this tower about? They were trying to bring down the blessings from the constellations. They wanted to take God out of the picture. They understood that God was using the constellations to affect reality. So they, says, they themselves said, let's go up and we'll affect them ourselves. And they actually had the ability to do this. Why? Because they were one nation. They had one language. There was clear communication. And they had power as a group. But the group also became corrupt. Rav Simchazizu explains that what do you mean they had bricks to build the tower? says, these bricks show us that there's a misguided people who imagine the world to be fixed reality, people in whom the material desire is dominant. They use their group power to become more physical. So either way society went, it was the same goal, the same materialistic, animalistic, humanistic achievements. Until Avram Avinu came along and he rejected this. The Amak Dever brings down that the furnace that Avram Avinu was thrown into and he had the miracle and he lived was the same furnace that they built the bricks from because he rejected this view of society. Avram Avinu had the Torah way. He rejected democracy, which leads to the individual becoming corrupt, and he rejected communism, which leads to the group becoming corrupt. He had the Torah way. So the beginning of the Parsha explains what was the difference between Noach and Avram. The first Pasuk in the Parsha says, these are the offspring of Noach, Noach was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. So the Midrashim explains, specifically in his generation, there are those that say that if he was in the generation of righteous people, the generation of Avram, he would have been even more righteous. And there are others who say it to his Ganai. They say, no, he was a tzaddik in his generation. But if he was in a generation of more righteous people, he wouldn't have been anything to mention. So what exactly is the difference between what Noach was doing who the Pasuk says that he was a perfect Sadiq. And what Avraham was doing, 
We just said the Pasuk by Noach said, Noach was a perfect Sadiq in his generation. And the Pasuk in the Parshish to come say, and God appeared to Avram and said to him, I am Kel Shachai, walk before me and be perfect. In other words, not yet perfect. So the shame Shmuel wants to answer up, you can answer that in a physical way. In other words, how could it be that Noach was on a higher level than Avram? The answer is because Noach was born circumcised. That's the Avastar of Nasan. So what does it mean he was perfect? He had circumcision. Avram didn't have circumcision yet. That would be explaining it in a physical level, but let's explain it on a philosophical way. The shame Shmuel brings an interesting Zohar that says Noach is Shabbos. We know the word no, Noach means to rest, but this is literally saying Noach, the man, is Shabbos. Well, that's very cryptic. What does that mean? So it explains, and we also have the opposite. We know the Shalosh Regalim. We know the three holidays correspond to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. And Rosh Hashanah corresponds to David HaMelech. But this also comes out a little bit strange because it comes out again that Noach is on a higher level. Noach's like Shabbos. And Shabbos is the greatest Kedusha. Shabbos is the day of the greatest holiness. So how again is Noach on top? So the answer is, is another aspect. And that aspect is how much is coming out of the individual's free will? How much is he doing? I'll explain. Shabbos, for example, is unchangeable. It was created from the seven days of Bereshis. And it's always been that way. And in every culture, there's seven days. It doesn't change at all. And the holiness comes from above. But the opposite by Yom Tov, the three major holidays, they come about by man, and also Rosh Chodesh. The based in, in Israel has to decide when is going to be the three major holidays and when it's going to be Rosh Chodesh. It's a man-made. It has to do with man's free will. He decides on the earth when these days are going to be based on the moon. And then the Kedusha comes. The holiness comes from that. We know Chetzilachem. On the holidays, man himself has to bring down the holiness. It doesn't come by itself. So we want to explain that even though that Noah was holy, but he was holy from his earliest beginnings. He was born circumcised. He had a certain intrinsic holiness. And his main job was just to guard himself against the bad influences of the world. On the other hand, Avraham was a self-made man. He came from a father who was an idol worshiper. And the Arizal says that Avraham's mother was a nida when he was conceived. She was in her menstrual period, which is forbidden. Makes a child to bend nida on a lower level. But still, Avram by himself, with his own free will, overcame all these obstacles. The Bumidra Rabbi says like this, Happy is the man who God chose, even though he did not draw near. And happy is the man who drew near, even though he was not chosen. Who is this? This Avram. But he wasn't drawn near. Rather, he drew himself near. He himself decided, I'm going to come close to God. It didn't matter what level he was holding. In the end, that's a higher level. He wasn't living off the Kedusha, the holiness that he was born with. He was producing in himself. And this explains another Midrash, Breshi's Rabbi, that says like this, The Shekhinah is intended to manifest itself in the world. In other words, the holiness of God is supposed to be in the world. Why seven people or generations cause it to retract. The seven heavens, in other words, all the sins of the generations before, caused the Shekhinah to go back to heaven. But the seven Sadiqin fallacated its return. Who are they? Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Levi, Kahas, Amram, and Moshe Rabbeinu. So where's Noah? Why isn't Noah listed? He's also a Sadiq, a perfect Sadiq. The answer is he was a different kind of a Sadiq. He wasn't a Sadiq that it came totally from his free will. He was born that way. Noah was not a self-made man. So in this sense, Avram Avinu was on a much, much higher level. Now, if Deslin wants to bring it even to a higher level, he begins with Midrash Tanhuman that's just like this. Why is the name of Noah repeated? God replies, to satisfy all those who come into the world about Noah's true character. So they should not think that he was a Sadiq only in his generation. 
God, by his repetition, by repeating to Noah's name, tells us that he considers equivalent of Avram. Just as the Torah repeats the name of Avram and similarly the name of Yaakov and Moshe and Shmuel, so does it repeat the name of Noah in order to equate him with the Sadiqim. So you see that Noah was in the box of the Sadiqim. So he has two questions. How could it be that Noah is compared to Avram, equated to him? And what does it mean to equate him with all the Sadiqim? Not all Sadiqim are equal. So it explains like this. What is a Sadiq? A Sadiq is a person who takes everything that has been given and uses it for the proper purpose. His house, his car, his wife, his all of his things. He explains in many places that these are the kalim, these are the utensils that a man is given in order to serve God. So any person who uses all those things to serve God, that's what a, he's called a Sadiq, a perfect Sadiq. And if not, he's actually called a thief because he's taking the things that God gives him. Let's say he gives him a lot of money. He's supposed to give it to Sadaka and he keeps it for himself. He's stealing from the poor. So he says, but this is the level of Noah. But Avram Avinu took it a step further. It's called a chassid. Not a sadik, chassid. It's a higher level. That's the person who actually changes his mazel. In other words, he serves God on such a high level that he can actually be given the portions of other people that they're not using properly. They'll be given over to him that he can use them properly. That's a chassid. We know that Avram Avinu took the portions of ten generations which preceded him. In other words, he was serving God on such a high level that his original mazel was overcome and he was given all the kalim, all the utensils that those people could have used to uplift it and serve God. They were given to him. That's a chassid, which means he broke the boundaries of his original mahus of who he is. The essence of who he is, he broke through. So Rav Dessler says, what is that, the Ganai? Listen, Noah was a Sadiq in his generation, based on who he was. He did everything. It's not a disgrace. The guy did everything perfect. He was a perfect Sadiq. He did everything with his with what he had. He used it to the utmost ability. The answer is yes, it is called a disgrace. Why? Because he should have even went beyond his own boundaries. If a person has to break through his own boundaries in order to reach higher levels, he has to be a Baumachadesh. He has to come up with new, innovative ideas in order to expand. This is what God expects from us. And we come from Avraham Avinu. We can also see this where Avraham sent Eliezer, his slave, to go find a, a woman for his son Yitzchak. So Eliezer was making hints, listen, I have a daughter. But we know it's Eliezer Medamesic. And the Chazal explains that he would just, he was like a dali, like a, a kli. He would take what Avraham gave him and give it out to other people. But they didn't makharish on it. He didn't expand it. He didn't use his logic to see other levels. Logic is like a sixth sense. If this is true, then that must be true. He didn't have the active mind to find new ways to be holy, different ways to do chesed. And the whole point really is, it says, in his door, we cannot judge ourselves based upon what's going on in our society. We have to break out of it. Whether it's a society of individualism or whether it's a communistic society, either way we have to break out of it and serve God in new, special ways. And this is how Rev. Yerucham explains the first Pasuk. He says, All the Machlokas, whether he was a Sadiq in his door generation, not in his generation, Rak Kavana Torah Bamilas Dorosav. It's just a question in his generation. Surely he would still be a Sadiq. In other words, even if Avram, even if he was in the generation of Avram Avinu, he would still be righteous. But that's not enough. That's exactly the point. In other words, no matter how righteous you are in your generation, the question is, are you righteous in terms of Avram Avinu's generation? 
Can you reach the level of our forefathers? When are my acts going to be like the acts of my forefathers? I don't judge myself based on society. And that's the opening move in Parshish Noach. And that's what God's trying to tell us. You have to be the righteous person to the utmost of your being based on all the kalim, all the utensils that God gave you. Not only that, according to Rev. Destler, you have to even expand into other spaces where God will give you more in order to do more righteousness. And not only that, you're judged based on the door of Avraham Avinu compared to the forefathers. That's the opening move of the Parsha when society begins. Not only that, that's the opening move also in Tehillim. The first Pasuk of Tehillim says like this, The praises of man are that he walked not in the counsel of the wicked, and stood not in the path of the sinful, and sat not in the concessions of scorners. What does the Radak say on that? He says, Lo halach ba'atzas, in the eights of the council, is particularly suited. Why? Because the wicked enjoy advising and persuading others to join in their evil rivalries. And if the masses were justified, as if the masses were a justification for the righteousness. In other words, we think... And this is what David Amalek is telling us. Don't go according to the group. Don't go what's going on in the world. You have to find your own way. Don't be like Eliezer of Damascus. You're just giving over what you were told. You have to mechadesh. You have to find new ways. You have to grow. I know these are very, very high levels, but really, in reality, this is what God expects from us. He wants to know when our actions are going to be like the actions of our forefathers. Here is a powerful parable. So the Magid Madubna, he has a parable just exactly on the point we spoke about before, which is, it says like this, A wealthy villager had only one daughter. He was a very wealthy man. He had one daughter. He went to the yeshiva. He spoke to the yeshiva. I went to the best guy for my daughter. I'm going to support him. I'll buy him an apartment. I'll support him in learning the rest of his life. Rosh Yeshiva figure out who is the best boy in the yeshiva. He offers a shidduk for this boy. And they get married. And they move out of town. So what happened? The man moves to this new town, and all of a sudden he's captivated by how beautiful it is, the fields, there's rivers there, mountains, and he starts to make a couple new friends. He makes friends with the goose shepherd and the water carrier, and then he spends hours talking to these guys, hanging around outside, wasting his time. So the father-in-law says, what's going on here? He comes to his son-in-law. Listen, I thought you were the masmin, I thought you were the best scholar in the yeshiva. What's going on with you? So the son-in-law, what do you mean? Wait, wait, wait. I'm not like them. Am I an artist like them? This goose shepherd doesn't even know how to read. And the water carrier, he doesn't even know the alphabet. Even if I forget half the shots, half of what I know, I'd still know 10 times more than them. So the father-in-law says, what do I care that you're better than the villagers? I was looking for the best guy in the yeshiva. Don't give me an excuse you're better than the villagers. So what's the nimshaw? He says, the soul of a person comes from the highest source. They came down this world. A person rapidly acquaints himself with all kinds of people in this world. And he learns how to idle away his time and do stupid things, waste his life. Even though he's still better than the others. HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects that a person be a cut above the rest. Even among the most excellent people. The highest standards. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. One time, an administrator of an institution came to Rav Shach and had a problem. He said, listen, I asked this friend who was very well connected to help me out with my institution. But the friend kept evading him, didn't answer his calls. And he says, it would have been such a small thing for this friend to do for me. I don't understand why I didn't do it. So after venting his anger, his frustration to Rav Shach, Rav Shach says, listen, what do I see in front of me? 
I see here a person who has a grievance against his fellow man. He's become upset at one, and he's absolutely certain that what he thinks is right. It's but really, a person who learns Musr, a person who learns Torah, understands that his own nature is corrupt and selfish. He can even, God forbid, any human being could come into a situation where he hurt somebody, can kill somebody. Who knows what kind of situation a person can come into. He brought the Pasuk, the Yetzer of the man is evil from youth, last week's Parsha. So what right does any man come to complain about the character of another man? If you would look inside yourself, you would understand you also are missing in certain character traits. And therefore, you would forgive the other guy. And not only that, but maybe he has already done tshuva. Maybe he feels bad about the fact that he didn't help you out. But you, you're acting this way right now. He says, who has the right to be annoyed at any other human being? The entire emotion of becoming annoyed is based on the fact that the person is so sure that he is better and more perfected than his friend. Really, there is no right to complain and criticize others. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So Rev. Nachman Dynamite has another chapter on Shalom Bias. Why do they fight? So he explains when he sees couples, first he speaks with the wife a couple of times, then he meets with the husband, and then he sees together. So this one time a huge Tamachachim, a big Torah scholar, came in when it was his turn after his wife spoke to him. He says, you know, you're disqualified from dealing with our case. Why? Because the Allah is that a judge, and it's true, that a judge cannot hear one person without the other person being there because his mind will be swayed towards that person. And that's the halacha. So if Dynamite says, fine, I'm not interested in dealing with the case. Then the guy starts to apologize one second, you know. And then he says, but Rav Dynamite says, you know what? And also Rav Wozner, when he meets couples, he meets the woman first. So how can you be the Rev Wozner who's one of the Gadoli Ador? <laughs> he, he's doing wrong? He says, that's a big question. So he said a big question in the clue. He says, a big question to Rav Wozner. <laughs> so he said, I couldn't deal with this guy. So his point is like this. Shalom bias is not a based in. It's not a court. It's not who's right and who's wrong. You have to get beyond that in order to have shalom bias. He says, when I listen to a story, when I hear a couple or an individual speak, I'm not listening so much to what they're saying. I'm listening to the tone of voice. I'm listening to their emotions. It's not a based in. Because I'll never know who told the truth, who's telling the truth. I want to I mean, know who's hurt in which way. And not only that, in most fights, both sides are right. Couples walking down the street, they see a little baby with the parents. And one says, oh, that baby looks just like her mother. And the other one says, no, it looks like the father. Can't you see? Who's right? <laughs> They're both right. He's looking at the nose. He's looking at the ears. He's looking at the eyes. They're both right. And most of these arguments between husband and wife, both people are right. And therefore, anger is not justified. And you also have the same kind of problems with Chinook, for example. One grew up in a house where the house was more open. And one grew in a house where more, the house was more closed. So the kid does something wrong. And the father says, punish that child right now. And the mother says, no, he needs warmth and love right now. And they're fighting about it back and forth. What to ru- do? You're going to ruin the kids. What's going to be? It's not a fight. It's two different opinions. Both have potential milers. They both have advantages. And disadvantages need to be discussed. But it's not, it's not a din. It's not a din toira. Your marriage is not a, a din. Same thing. She could hurst the kids to eat. The mother is forcing the kid to eat. He has to eat. He has to eat. And the father says, listen, did you ever, were you ever forced to eat? You know, it's not very pleasant to be forced to eat. You know, but the kid's going to starve. He's not going to eat. What do you think? This is a, a, a kitchen here that I'm going to cook 25 different meals for each kid. It's a discussion. It's not, it's not, it's not a din. It's not, not one side is right. One side is wrong. They both have advantages. So he says, if Shalom bias is more important to them than anything else, then there is hope they will achieve it. In other words, it has to be the top priority has to be shalom bias, not who's right and who's wrong, because then it's never going to work out. 
It even gets to a point where things get so out of hand that the couple start to trap each other. They're trapping each other to see, to see how wrong or right you are. A woman, for example, says he missed my birthday. And then what's coming up is the anniversary. The anniversary is the same time of the week, and he wants to give her a present. And she says, don't give me a present. I'm not going to take a present. You can just give me a present. Stum. The husband's stuck. What is he supposed to do? If he doesn't give a present, he's just like the birthday. And if he gives a present, she's going to throw it away. The point is not to trap your husband, not to trap your wife. The point is to get along. Marriage is not a court case. Marriage is a relationship that needs to be worked on and put as the highest priority. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 